Today, we're gonna to be in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 15. We start a brand new series called Simply Jesus. And every year, our church, we take um, one of the series that we teach, we teach in sermon series format, which means we take one uh, topic or idea or thought, we teach about it for three or four weeks, and then we move on to the next one because, well, your pastor's uh, ADD, so I have to move quickly to different subjects and topics. But um, we're gonna take, every year, we take a series and we dedicate it to the person of Jesus. And the reason we do that is because without Jesus, man, none of this was possible. Without Jesus, we don't have salvation. Without Jesus, we don't have heaven now. Without Jesus, we don't have teachings that help us uh, get better with our wives and our husbands and our kids and our jobs and our finances and our health. Without Jesus, we don't have a hope. Without Jesus, we don't have healing. Without Jesus, we don't have um, security. Without Jesus, we don't have like patience. Without Jesus, we don't have any of the fruits of the Spirit. Without Jesus, we don't have joy. Without Jesus, we don't have a future and a calling. Without Jesus, we don't have a purpose. Without Jesus, we don't have a church. Y'all hear what I'm saying? We don't, without Jesus, Jesus is the whole point of all of this. This is a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving church. And so because of that, we teach about the person of Jesus um, in one series. And so today we're starting a new series called Simply Jesus. And really the, the, whole, the whole kind of spin on it is that we're going to look at the life of Jesus. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the greatest things that he ever did. And today, we're gonna to look at what, again, this is not, this is personal, this is my opinion. But we're gonna look at a parable that Jesus taught that I think is the greatest parable he ever taught. Now, if you don't know what a parable is, parable is always, just a story. Everybody say story. And he, Jesus told stories or parables to teach lessons throughout his life. And um, we're gonna look at a specific one in Luke chapter 15. Now, if you don't know anything about the Bible, we'll go into it in just a minute. But before I do, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll get into that story in just a second. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for today. I thank you that today you're here. And that, God, at the same time, your spirit is here. There are other spirits here warring against your spirit. Because so much of what you want to teach us is clouded by so much of, of, of many other spirits that are unhealthy, unwanted, not of you. So we rebuke those spirits in Jesus' name by the power and the blood of the, of the Lamb. And we welcome your spirit to speak to us in only ways that you can. And I pray right now, God, that there would be one message delivered to each of us uniquely, timely, that's so needed, that we walk out of here. We couldn't help but walk out of here be different. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Um, I am married and I have five children. And rem I remember back to getting first married with my wife and learning all the nuances uh, and the new things of what it's like to live with a woman. I mean, come on, guys. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It's a little different. You know, when you live by yourself, it's kind of is what you want to do. You know, you, you, you make the food you want to make. You have this house set at the temperature you want it to be. You, uh, you know, you wear what you want to wear. You, you stay up as late as you want to stay up. Come on, you get to watch whatever you want to watch, right? And, and when you get married, well, those days are over. And so we, we got married, and I realized really quickly that I did not know my wife as well as I thought I did. You learn a little of the new things, right, when you get married, y'all. You know, you know what I'm saying? Come on, married folk. This is your time to amen me a little bit. Shout down the pastor a little bit like, yeah, you're right. You know, because you think you know your wife or your husband until you live with them. And I learned a lot of new things just living with my wife. She just got married and we were married for a couple of years. We had a couple of kids. And funny about our marriage is that we had babies. You know, it's like we got married. She got pregnant. Two kids come out right away. Come on, double your trouble just right away. Just didn't even know that was going to happen. I don't know what it's like to have one. 
I heard it's amazing. Y'all write me letters. Let me know how it is. But we had twins, and I got myself, uh, my wife into, a, into an apartment. And in the apartment, when we, our, one of our first apartments we had was the living room was right here. It had a hallway that connected to our master bedroom at the end of the hallway. And then in the middle, there was um, one side was a, a restroom, the one restroom we had, the one bathroom. And then the other one was our, our kid's room. And I remember I'd stay up late at night. And so my wife doesn't stay up late. She's not like a night owl, but I am. I kind of like staying up late at night. And, and you know, you stay up late at night, all of a sudden the, the funny infomercials come on. You know, you know what I'm talking about? You know, where they, they sell you the ShamWow and the, you know, the, the Slap Chop and the Shake Weight and all those kinds of things. Things. And I bought all of them. They all work. And so, uh, but I remember one night I'm staying up late and, and um, my wife's in bed and she'd been sleeping for a little bit. So I go to the hallway and I go into the hallway and I'm not really good. My, I don't see well um, in general. So I have bad eyes. And so, um, but at night when it's dark and I take my contacts out, I'm blind, like legitimately blind. I cannot see anything. And so I'm in the, again, remember the hallway, you know, I got my restroom down here and then I got to walk down the hallway to the, how, the, the room that's at the end of the hallway. So I go in there and I take my contacts out, turn off all the lights, and I walk out of the hallway and I realize I can't see, right? So what do you, you and I naturally do? You just figure it out. Guys, come on. We know what we're doing. We don't need light. We, we know naturally, intuitively where we're going. So I start feeling along the wall and get down to the end of the hallway where the door is. Now, the door is normally closed, but it wasn't. It was kind of halfway open, halfway closed. So I push the door open and... and I got to be honest with you, I don't know why this happened, and I remember it vividly, because I remember what it sounded like. The door creaked open, kind of creepily. Y'all, Halloween's coming, y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, we're talking about the creaky door that opens up. It had never done that in my life. I'm like, that's kind of weird. And I don't know about you, but I'm afraid of the dark. Anybody else just happy to be afraid of the dark like me? Come on, some just brave, afraid of the dark people. Good, we got three people telling the truth. Okay, great. Some of y'all... You're afraid of the dark. You want to admit it. So I'm afraid of the dark. And I believe in demons, okay? I believe in demons. I'm not saying I've seen demons, but some of y'all, anyway, I'm telling you, there's some demons that are out there. Let me ask you a question. Do you, let's just, just a subjective question for you to think about. If there is a devil and there are demons, who do you think the devil and the demons are after the most? I pretty assume it's a pastor, right? I think they're coming after me. So I naturally think the devil's after me. Let's fast back, let's rewind back to where I'm at. It's dark. I think the devil's after me. It's dark. I'm afraid of the dark and I cannot see. Door creaks open and I'm already freaked out. So I walk in, I take one step into the door, and I look over to my wife, and she's on the bed, she's sleeping on the bed, because I could see a little bump on the bed with the, with, the, with the covers, and it's dark, and the window now has a moonlight shining down directly onto the bed. Painting a picture for you guys to remember, y'all need to picture this. The moonlight's shining onto the bed, and I don't, I don't know if I remember this, but I feel like I remember this. There was a mist over the bed at the time, like a fog. Like a fog, like a mist fog over the bed. And the shining down and with the white like light onto the bed. And I was walking in, door creaks open, pitch black dark. All I can see is the shadow and the sign, you know, kind of what my wife my wife is. And I take one more step in. And if I'm lying, I'm dying. This is what happened. Have y'all ever seen um, World Wrestling Federation, like wrestling with the Undertaker was in the casket? And you know how what he does, you know how when he goes here and then like when he wakes up, his eyes open up and just whoosh right there. That's what she did to me. So I walk in. I want you to remember this. It's dark. Moonlight's down. Boom. She comes up, and then she does that. Y'all ever watch those creepy movies where the people move their head really, really fast, crazy, and look at you, creep? This is how it was. She goes, she goes, whoosh. And then she goes, Bleh! like that. And I was like. And you don't know what to do in that moment. You don't know. Do you move? Do you not move? Is this going to make it worse? Because if she is possessed by the Satan, <laughs> like, do I do anything about it? Like, where's my Bible? I don't know what to do. You know, you don't know, you're not prepared for this. 
Never seen this from my wife before. So she did the head thing, and then I, I, what I thought was going to be it, it wasn't. She said the most frightening thing that you could have. You can't make this stuff up, okay? This, this literally happened. She looked at me, and then she goes, in the creepiest voice I've ever heard in my life from my wife, little sweet little Mexican dynamite thing. She goes, she goes, the babies. <laughs> Naturally, because I'm a man, I went like this. Because I didn't know, I thought if I scream, it would make it worse, right? You know, you don't know what's going to happen. I can barely see her. My wife's possessed by Satan. She says babies. And then she starts moving the sheets. She goes, and then she says it again, the babies. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, this is it. Out, demon spirit. You know, I don't know what to do. And so what I did was what you would do if you were in my situation. I got up out of there. I walked away and slammed the door. Because I didn't know, and I slept in the living room for the rest of the night. And I woke up the next morning, and I said, and she goes, honey, why didn't you come to sleep? Why didn't you come to bed? I said, I did. Do you remember what you did? I go, are you Erica, or are you like demonic Erica? Who are you am I talking to right now? And she goes, oh, and she laughed about it because she was like, oh, I sleep talk. I'm like, you could have told me that in the fine print when I got married to you. Like, I didn't know. Is anybody married to a sleep talker? Anybody right now? Y'all know what you feel my pain. Like, that's crazy. Things that happens is unexpected. Jesus was weird. He would tell stories with people, and he would say the most unexpected, shocking things. That's shocking. I mean, I was shocked that that would come out of my wife's mouth. The babies. Um... But Jesus was like a master storyteller to shock people. He would say stories that you thought he, you ever have like watched the movie, like you ever watched Sixth Sense in here? You know, remember like at the end, you have the twist. Jesus was the master at that. Like he's alive, you know what I mean? And if you guys are like, that's a 20 year old movie. So like he's, a, but like there's, he's, he was the master. He'd tell you stories and you'd be like, oh, I know where you're going with this Jesus. And then he'd twist at the end. He's doing it right now. In Luke chapter 15, this is the setting. He's having dinner with tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees are outside the dinner, like the Bible says, judging him. Because they're like, this dude is supposed to be the Messiah, who's supposed to be the super Christian of the day. And he's hanging out with the people that you wouldn't think he shouldn't be hanging out with. He should be hanging out with us who are like the super Christians. Like we're the ones who claim to be Christian on Facebook and put the badge on it. But he seems to be playing and hanging out with like the people who clearly are like not on his team. And so they're judging Jesus and the disciples for it. Jesus gets wind of it. And then he tells three stories. He starts off with a story about a man who chases after the sheep. Now y'all have ever heard the leave the 99 to go after one. We write big songs about it. That's where that story came from. So Jesus is again talking to again, tax collectors and Pharisees. And he says, this is the kingdom of heaven. This is what it's really like that, that the father would go, that the man would chase after the sheep who is lost. And now he's found. Then he tells another story. He goes on to a second parable who tells a story about a woman who loses a coin and does everything she can. And she finds all this stuff. She does everything she can to find and chase after the lost coin. And then he ends with what I would say would be the best parable, the third parable, the, the, like the greatest parable with the parable of the prodigal son. Now you guys have probably heard the parable of the prodigal son before, but I'm going to tell it to you today in a way that you've never heard. And you might be mad at me about after later. Because what Jesus was really good at was telling a story that shocked people. 
So he tells the story of the prodigal son. We'll read it, Luke chapter 15. That's the setting. He says in verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. Everybody say two sons. This is important because you, you, you always miss that. We miss that. He says, the younger one said to the father, father, give me the share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Pause here for just one second. That's the first shocking thing that they would have heard. Jesus tells a story about a man who had two sons and one of the sons who goes to the father and says, hey, I want you to actually break up the estate. Now, in order for him to actually do that, what he was really telling him was, you need to, he didn't like, he, it wasn't like he had like millions of dollars in the account. All of his wealth was tied up in land, cattle, and reputation. The only way he could give any piece of the estate to his son is you have to sell all of it, get rid of all of it, lose all of it, so that he could give one third of that to the estate of the estate to his younger son because the younger son got one third, the older son got two thirds. So what he was literally saying is, I want you to ruin your life and my older brother's life. Give me what's mine so that I have what's mine and it doesn't really matter. I would really like your life to be in shambles so that I can go have a better life. It would have shocked them. And not only did he ask for that, the first shocking thing, the second shocking thing was that the dad actually does it. Because they would have been like, no, in that season, in that time, if, some, if a son had the nerve to ask that, the son would have been disowned and kicked out of the family. But to Jesus in his story, the father goes, actually, the father does it. And they're like, what is going on, Jesus? This story makes no sense. Then the Bible goes on, and I'll paraphrase for a little bit. The Bible goes on to say that he goes off to a faraway land, squanders all of it, and ends up living in a literal pig pen. And in the pig pen... The younger brother, or the prodigal son, has a come-to-Jesus moment. And we pick it up in that specific area in verse 17. It says, when he came to his senses. Now, if you're saved in here, you've all had the came-to-his-senses moment. You tried to live without God for as long as you could. You had fun sinning. Then you had terrible time with the, with the repercussions of sinning. And then you, you have that cycle of weird sinning and then payment. Or sinning and then punishment. Sinning and then issues. And then you're like, man, I got to go to God. You come to your senses. And he says this, what you and I would say. I, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Verse 18, I'm going to go back. To my father, and I'm going to say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And this is the third shocking thing that happens with all those people, because they're like, why would, they, why would he st stand there and stay in the pig pen any longer than he needs to and rehearse his apology? And what happens is, is Jesus is telling that story, because that's what you and I do on a regular basis. Instead of going to God to help us in our issue, we try to fix it ourselves. And instead of what actually would do, would actually help us getting closer to the Father, you and I rehearse our, our apology. We say stuff like, okay, God, I, look, I know I'm not with you right now. I know I didn't go to church, and I know I don't read my Bible. I'm going to get my life right. Like, I'm going to be good first, okay? Because if I come to church now, the place going to light on fire. So let me be good before I come to God. Let me get healed before I go to the hospital. And we rehearse in our ways of going like, God, I'm going to be good one day. Don't worry. I'm out here living my best life. Not really. I'm out here. But once I'm good, I'm going to come back. Have you ever done anything in this life and regretted it, 
And in the moment you're in the consequences of the bad decisions you've made, you're in your own pig pen. Instead of going back to God, come on, you wait and you rehearse. And the danger about you rehearsing your apology is that you just, you stay further and further disconnected from the Father. You're trying to figure out how to fix it. And I think sometimes God's saying, if you just come to me, I'll fix it. And you think your sin is the thing that's keeping you. What if your sin is not the thing that keeps us from God? It should cause us, make us realize our need for a Savior. It should cause you to think, man, I I can't fix this thing on my own. And so he stops rehearsing his sin. The Bible goes on to say in verse 20, he says, so he got up and he went to his father. I like this. And it says, while he was still a long way off. Everybody say long way off. off. Yeah, like, so he's not close. He hasn't had a chance to apologize. This is what bothers most religious people. Because if I haven't offended you yet, we're going to ramp up to it. He hasn't had a chance to repent to God. Y'all see the parallel father, God, son, us. Y'all see it. He hasn't had it. He, he was, I got a good apology. I'm going to tell him, you don't have to give me in the family anymore. I'll just be a servant just so I can be around you. God, you don't have to fully make, just, I don't have to give me into heaven yet, but just give me a chance to be around you. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him filled with compassion and ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now, this is to be the fourth shocking thing that they would say. Because you didn't, in that moment, men didn't run. Men didn't run. Kids ran. Women ran. Young men ran. But men of his stature didn't run in their culture. So for a man to run to his son, what he was literally doing is throwing off every cultural norm to extend grace to someone who doesn't deserve it. And you have to ask yourself the question, if Jesus said it, then he meant it. And why did he say it? He probably said it because, because that's what God the Father expects from us. Remember, anything Jesus does, he models for us. And the question you have to ask yourself is, are you willing to throw off a cultural norm of, let's say, Christianity to extend grace to someone who doesn't deserve it? Like, you know what's a a cultural distinctive for, like, the world? If someone apologizes, you forgive them. You know what Jesus' way is? You forgive them even if they don't apologize. Well, you got to ask yourself the question, are you going to be like the world or are you going to be like God? God's teaching a cultural distinctive here. And so what you see is the formula. What you see is the recipe of your success with the Lord. You step towards God the Father, he runs toward you. That's what you're doing right now in a weekend service. You gotta do it every day. Isn't it funny how like when you wake up every day, you gotta recommit yourself to Christ. Isn't that true? You gotta wake up every day and take a step. Like I don't wake up resaved. I wake up unsaved. Ask my wife. Like, I, babe, come on. I, w- I wake up. 
I wake up and got to recommit to the Lord, I'm going to love her as Christ loved the church. Come on. I got to wake up and recommit to the Lord, I'm going to raise my kids so that they, when they grow older, they won't turn from it. I got to wake up and recommit as a man that I'm not going to leave my wife for other things inside of the world. I got to wake up and recommit as a pastor to lead the church with grace and truth and teach them things that they don't want to hear, but also love them enough to where they keep coming around and just got to shepherd them. Come on, y'all. Have, we all got to recommit. You get on the Traffic is 1604 with all the construction that seems to last forever. I got to recommit to myself. Like, I got to take a step towards God so that he can run towards me. And so in those processes, we're like, okay, God, we see what you're expecting of us. And then in verse 21, he finally has this moment with the father, right? So good. Son says, so father, look, I've sinned against you. I've against heaven. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. It's like he's trying to convince the dad that he shouldn't give him grace. Have you ever done that with God? It's almost like we talk to God like he doesn't know what's going on. You ever do that? Hey, God, just want to let you know what happened. I feel like God kind of goes, okay. I I already know, but okay. Go ahead. And then you give him the abridged version that makes you look really good. And he's like, oh, it's worse than you think. You think the son knew all the repercussions of that happened with, with what he did to him? He didn't know all that it went into. He didn't know any of that. The father knows. He's like, oh, your sin's worse than you think. <laughs> it's worse than you think. That's why you need extravagant levels of grace. And so he goes, this is dad's response. Quick! Put him in our pig pen. Justice people want that to happen. Religious people really want that to happen. You can come to church, but just so you know, you messed up. You going to get it. God's going to get you. And here's how he's going to get you with all the rules and all the regulations. Just wait until you come in here. You thought you were in prison before? Wait until you come to Christian prison. You can't watch Netflix no more. Like, I'm just telling you. Like, religious people are funny about that stuff. Can't listen to that music anymore. Bruno Mars from the devil. No, he says, bring the best robe. Put it on him. Go get that ring. Put a ring on it. Get on his finger. Put the sandals on his feet. Go and get the Jordans. And then bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. This would have irritated the rest of them completely. Because they would have been like, what? Because they knew what all those things meant. So the Bible says, as Jesus teaches it, he said, bring them the robe, which meant the family name that you ruined, the protection you left, I'm going to give it back to you. Because you couldn't even bring me what you stole from me. Remember, he wasted all that he took from his dad. There was no recompense. There was no justice in it. Y'all see that, right? He couldn't make it right. So his dad made it right. The protection you left, you get it back. The ring that you get to wear, the name you ruined, you can have it again. The sandals that I'm going to put on your feet, which, by the way, only son's family wore sandals. 
Servants were barefoot. He said, no, come on. You're, the sonship that you looked away from, you get it back. And then the fattened calf, you want to make somebody really, really happy? In that day, eating meat was a delicacy. You didn't do it on a regular basis. There ain't no Chick-fil-A. There ain't no Whataburger over there. It was, you only had meat when somebody of importance came back. He said, the value that you thought you didn't have, let me remind you how important you are. And the story ends there. Oh, wait, no, it doesn't. Because you guys have heard that one before, right? Every pastor I've heard preach this sermon on the prodigal son stops there. But I'm like, don't stop there. It's only going to get better from there. Because pick it up in verse 25. Y'all are just in an old-fashioned Bible study with me today. Is that okay? We're just walking through it. I'm just reading the Bible. Meanwhile, the older son, new character. He's up in the field. When he got near the house, he started hearing like a DJ. He smelled the barbecue. He heard the cheering, YMCA. He heard it all. And he's like, what is going on? And his servant said to him, your brother's come back. Your father's throwing a feast. He killed the fattened calf. Steaks are on the menu. Because he came back safe and sound. And the older brother, my God, the older brother, he's so excited. He's like, this is amazing. My brother's back. The older brother, wait, I read it wrong. He was angry and he refused to go in. None of you have done that before with God's grace, right? None of you saw somebody get grace that they didn't deserve and you were, none of you stood in the outside with your, hmm. That's what my kid does, my five-year-old. I'm like, you do that again. Say, hmm, again. See what happens. Y'all do that, you know? Hmm. I know her story. I know what he did. He shouldn't be. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Y'all have a line. Y'all know that, right? Your line's not my line. My line's not your line. There's a line for everybody. There's a religious line in everybody's life. And you don't know where it is until it's crossed. And for that brother... Cross the line. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Then his father goes out. He pleads with him. He says, hey, listen, you're missing it. You're missing it. You got to see what's going on here. And, he, and he's stuck. You see his brother? He's stuck. He's like, no, nah, he don't deserve it. He wasted it. He ran off. He abandoned us. Mm-mm. He don't, he don't get it. He says, all these years I've been slaving for you. I never did nothing wrong. I followed all the rules. You never gave me a goat. You up in here eating steaks? I ain't getting no pizza. Nothing. Couldn't celebrate with my friends. 
And then he goes on to this. This is the epitome of the, of the older brother spirit, the son of yours. Quick question. That's his brother too, right? That's his family too, right? And it's interesting to me how the moment grace is given out to somebody you don't think should get it, they ain't a part of you anymore. He squandered your property of prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. And the father says, you, you missed it, my son. All these years you've been with me. Everything you have is yours. Everything I have is yours anyway. We had to celebrate and be glad. The brother that was dead is alive again. The one who was lost is now found. Most people teach this story as the prodigal son. The accurate view of teaching this story is the prodigal sons. Yeah. There wasn't one lost boy. There were two. Um, I'm from California. Most of you probably figured that out. Thank you for welcoming me into God's country. I love Texas. I don't even tell people I'm from California anymore because it's not like a great thing here. Where are you from? Texas? San Antonio? By way of California. But in California, I was a pastor in California. California? People think they know what California is like. It's going to eventually break off into the water. I know it. But like reaching people out there, they'll be like, well, you know, there's lost people, like people who don't know God. I'm like, no. No. <laughs> no. They are anti-God by culture. By culture. You're born into a culture. Like Texas is a culture. New York is a culture. Uh, South Carolina has a culture. I love going to South Carolina. Everybody calls me honey. <laughs> Want to drink some sweet tea? You know? I'm like, yes. But the culture there is anti-God. And out there, a whole lot of younger brothers. A whole lot of lost boys who are prodigals, who are not close to God. In Texas, where we live, that ain't our issue. So I'm going to pastor you for the next so minutes. Our issue is not younger brother syndrome. Our, our issue at large is older brother. Here's why. Our culture is more religious by culture. Many of you, I, I meet all of you a lot. I, I, we talk, you tell me. Most of you come from some religious background. A lot of Catholic. We've got a lot of old school Catholics in here. And you're my people. I love you. You guys are awesome. You're more than welcome. Got old school Protestants, maybe come from the Methodist church or the Pentecostal church or the Assemblies of God. or Some of you come from Presbyterian background. Look, bottom line, we all come from some level of church. A lot of us do. The culture of our area dictates that. And our nature is not that we be caught as a lost boy, because a lot of us have met Jesus and connected with Jesus and we know God the Father. Our issue is older brother problems. Because the God I serve, that Jesus is now, go back to the audience. 
He was teaching both sinners, come on, lost younger brother and Pharisees older brother. And one was lost who needed to be found. <laughs> but here's the crazy part. One was found and didn't know he was still lost. And some of us have been found by the Jesus that, Savior, God, you did amazing things. Thank you for saving me. We have a heaven now, but you're still lost. You still have that older brother in you. And the only way that you know that is when God's grace crosses a line. So I'm going to give you three ways in the time I have left, three quick ways, how you know you could be a older brother. It's how you know. It's how you know. And what's funny is, first service, what I'm fighting right now is a religious spirit because it's in this place. It's in every church. It's in every church. So I'm going to fight, and I'll get one or two amens, and that's okay. Because this is in me too. And so God reminds me, remember, you're just as lost, Aaron. You're just as lost. First sign, number one, we obey God. It's how you know you're an older brother. You obey God to control your circumstances. If you look, Bible says in verse 29, he answered the father and said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I never disobeyed your orders. You're a great rule keeper. You look at God as a, um, as a formula not as a relationship. You look at, at a God and your relationship with him, transactional and not as relational. So it's like, God, I give you my trust and you return or give me back a good life. And the funny thing about rule keepers is that they struggle with two primary things, pride and shame. Because when you follow the rules really, really well, you get a good life. And then your good life, you credit the rule keeping, not the grace of God. But then what happens is when you don't follow the rules really, really good, you wind up having a bad life and then you credit your bad rule keeping and you live in shame. And you and I look at God in a formulaic way. You think everything is cause and effect in life. And I believe in sowing and reaping, but not everything is cause and effect. You want me to prove it to you? Y'all ready? Um, have you ever had a time where you did something good and something bad happened? Raise your hand. Everybody, yeah. Yeah, that's the human condition. I'll make it even worse. Have you ever done anything good or done anything bad and then something good happened? Come on. Yeah. You made a mistake and something good came out from it? Not everything is cause and effect. And the moment you forget that God's grace resides in the messy middle, you, forgot, you start to credit yourself and all the cool rules you make. On top of the rules God have, that's what religions do. We always really good at that. Like I grew up in a church, we're really good at that. We like made up rules. We like God's rules are not enough. We'll add more rules so that when we follow the rules, then God will love us more. Even though that's not what the Bible says. And when you follow God only because you want to control your circumstances, you're trying to control God. And I don't know about you, but I've ran into an issue with God and trying to control him. He's like notoriously ornery. Like really bad. Because like, oh my God, like you don't understand. I did the right thing, therefore you should do the right thing. And God says to me regularly, that's not how this thing works. You either serve me because you're in the family or you're serving me as an older brother thinking that I owe you something. That's what the brother said to the father. Um, one of the greatest things that you could do on a regular basis is pray and ask the Lord. Tell God this, God, if you gave me nothing else. 
I'm not going anywhere. He gave me nothing else. Some of us in here need to make up your mind. Make up your mind. Are you in the family? Are you going to act like a son? Are you going to act like a daughter or not? Like, you got to stop patty caking with God a little bit. And like, you're either in and you're in this. It's like, If you don't do that, eventually you'll run into a circumstance that will give you reason to leave. The life is too messy and it's too hard. You gotta make up your mind. No, God, I'm not serving you for my circumstance. I'm serving you from my circumstance. You did nothing for me. If if you gave me nothing else, I'll serve you the rest of my life. Number two is this. It's how you know you're an older brother. We obey God to get stuff. He says, look, all these years have been slaving for you. I never disobeyed your orders. He goes, you never gave me a goat. He said, I did this. You should have given me this because I know you have one. I know you got a fattened calf back there somewhere. And I've been following all the rules and doing all the things. My obedience is only a means to an end with you, God. I don't really look at you as a father. I don't really look at you as a savior. I look at you as a Santa. I ask you give. You're no longer a, a, like a God. You're a cosmic therapist or you're, you know, you're, you're like literally somebody where I transact. You are, you are a vending machine, God. I put in my faith and out comes your blessing. So I'm serving you only to get something from you. And my fattened calf is different than your fattened calf. And sometimes we come to God saying, God, you owe me. God, you owe me. God, I'm doing the rules. You owe me now. You owe me. You owe me a good wife. You owe me a good husband. You owe me some kids who pay attention. You owe me another couple zeros on that paycheck. God, you owe me. I've been given to your church. You owe me. That's all older brothers talk. Older brothers talk like that. Older brothers only serve God to see what they can get from him. Rather than serving God saying, God, hey, just so you know, I recognize The only thing that matters is you. The only thing that's valuable that I care about is being in relationship with you. If I have God, I have everything. When I have Jesus, I have everything. When I have the Holy Spirit, I have everything. When I have a connection to the Lord, I have everything. When I got spiritual family provided to me by God, I have everything. When I have the ability to connect and to communicate and to pray and to serve and to worship and to sing and to live for the God who created everything and the universe, who knows my name, who counts my hairs, who has understanding for my feelings, who cries with me, who knows what wounds feel like and knows what betrayal feels like and knows what it's like to have nails go into his hands from people who he came to save. That God, if I got him... I got everything. Older brothers don't think like that. They think, God, what you going to give me? The third one is this, and I'm done. Older brothers, they obey God to be superior. He says in verse 30, when this son of yours, this son of yours. It's amazing how older brothers love to separate themselves from younger brothers all the time. They separate themselves. They move away from, they move away from them sinners. 
And if you're not careful, you've been walking with the Lord a long time, you think you're not them. And what God loves to remind you all the time and remind me all the time, you are them. <laughs> That's you, homie. You better hope I give him grace because the grace that he needs is the grace that you need. You better hope I let him in the church because the grace that I gave him to let him in the church is the reason that you can actually come back to the church. His sin might be public. Your sin might be private. Either way, you still need Jesus' blood. And so a lot of us, we forget we are them and they are me. And I need Jesus just as much as they do. Older brothers don't think like that. Older brothers think that their sin's big. My sin's just this sin. I'm not that bad. They say that all the time. I'm going to close with this thought. I know this is, I feel, this feels heavy. I know. I'm sorry, I wasn't, I don't mean it to be heavy, but I do mean it to be convicting. Because if I'm the pastor of this church, I have to make sure regularly to schedule our temperature check to make sure that when you walk into this place, you want to try to be a part of us, be one of us. We ain't going to be older brothers. That spirit, that religious spirit, Jesus ran off all the time, and I run it off of people all the time. There's nothing wrong with holiness. I'm not talking about holiness. I'm not talking about living for God. I'm not talking about having convictions. I'm talking about those convictions having you. By the way, the law was given to people to serve people. We weren't given to serve the law. So yes, we should have convictions. We should have ways of living. We should be holy. We should have separation. But, but there's, a, there's a line that crosses in our lives where we think that the rule keeping that you and I, the serving that you and I do entitles us to anything. You, you and I are here because of grace. So I was thinking about this the other day. I was, I've never, I, I read the Bible weird. I ask questions. So I wrote down this question one time when I was reading this Bible. I was like, if you look at the pattern that Jesus said in the first parable if you checked out if you're asleep wake back up double okay this is important this is this is this is really important so if you don't take anything take this away the the first parable that Jesus taught the man ran after the sheep did you notice that he chased him second parable the woman chased after the coin I'm like that's cool the third parable the father does not chase after the son. And that's like messing with my theology. I'm like, God, you chase us, right? We always sing those songs like, you chase after us. You're amazing, God. Can't run from you. I was confused. I was like, God, that doesn't, that doesn't line up with your character. I'm kind of confused by that, God. That doesn't make any sense. And a buddy of mine who's a, kind of a Jewish scholar, I asked him about it one time. We were, we were talking and I said, hey, the prodigal son, I asked you a question. It's at the end, I said that. I said, why didn't the father chase after the son? And he goes, oh, and he laughed. He goes, oh, oh, you just, you don't understand the culture. He said, if at that time, any time you had a younger brother prodigal out and leave the family, culturally, it was understood that the father didn't chase after the son. The brother chased after the younger brother. It was the older brother's responsibility to go get him. It was the older brother's responsibility to go save him. It was the older brother's responsibility come on, to go have a conversation with him, say, this ain't you. It was the older brother's responsibility to come bring him back. It was the older brother's responsibility to throw the party when he came back. 
And some of us are stuck in that weird religious zone sometimes where you see a need and you're like, God, I hope you meet that need. No, 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 no. In God's kingdom, the older brothers meet the need. Stop asking God to meet it. When you see a marriage on the rocks, you don't ask God to heal the marriage. You go and heal the marriage in Jesus' name. If you see somebody struggling financially, you don't say the weird Christianism thing that everybody says in the Christian world. Hey, man, I'm going to pray for you. How about you take out your checkbook, help the dude? When somebody needs a meal, bring them a meal. When somebody needs prayer, bring them some prayer. When somebody needs to get their butt into church, you don't pray that God would magically put a bus in front of their house. Come on. We need to be the older brothers that always raise and chase and go and celebrate and help the younger brothers of the world. This is not a, I'm telling you, this is our culture. And if you come in here with that religious spirit, you ain't going to make it because we're going to run you out quick. You got to be in here about, no, 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 no. It's my responsibility to make room for somebody who doesn't know Jesus. That's why we don't do that whole chair thing. Y'all know the church chair thing? Y'all know it? You got your chair? That's my chair. You ain't got a chair. Well, no, I come to this church. I give to this church. Good. Then you know better. You ain't got a chair. You know who's got a chair? Younger brothers. Prodigals got a chair. We throw in a party for prodigals every Sunday. Tell them about it. We got music. We got food. We got a crazy pastor. Tell them. We throw in a party for people who don't know Jesus. And not bother religious people to the day. I mean, I talk to them regularly. They're like, why are you doing all this? Because Jesus cares. And if Jesus cares, if the father cares, come on. Older brother cares. I don't want to be the guy that walks up to Jesus and say, why did you do that? Why'd you? No, I want to be like, hey, let's kill two fattened calves. Come on, somebody. Let's celebrate bigger. Turn the volume up. Let's go. Because the one who's lost, come on. Now it's found. Now it's found. Let's pray. Father, I love you, Lord. I thank you that, God, we're in a place where, where we celebrate those who, who don't know you can come to know you. I thank you that we're strategic enough to think about the weekend, that it is a place that people who don't know you can, can actually move from death to life, and miracles can happen for their eternity. And I, I pray that I would never lose sight of the reason that I'm here, that I would never lose sight of, of knowing that every sacrifice I make to you is worth it. Every time I give to you, it's worth it. That God, if you gave me nothing else, it's worth it. I don't serve you because I want to control my circumstance. I don't serve you to get something good from you. I don't serve you to make me feel better or higher or more pious than others. I serve you simply because you had the grace enough to give me the ability to serve you. It's because of you I'm here. And I pray that we would have that spirit in our church every day. We have these doors open in Jesus' name.